All right. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. While you're turning there, I want to read something to you. Two Texans were trying to impress each other with the size of their ranches. One asked the other, what's the name of your ranch? He replied, the rocking R, A, B, C, flying, W, circle, C, bar, U, staple for box, D, rolling, M, rainbows and silver, spur, ranch. The questioner was much impressed and exclaimed, whew, that's sure some name. How many head of cattle do you run? And the rancher answered, not many, very few survive the branding. Hey, that was a freebie. That's not what I'm preaching on this morning. I just came across that one, thought it was very clever. <laughs> but there was a young gentleman who had boarded a train, and he was sitting down with his luggage. <clears throat> and he was getting married that afternoon. He was all excited. He was heading to Victoria Station. Conductor came by to punch his ticket, and the, the gentleman said, I want to make sure that I get off at Victoria Station, so could you please remind me? The conductor looked at him and said, sir, I don't know if you realize this, but this train does not stop at Victoria Station. The young man said, but sir, you've got to understand, I'm getting married this afternoon. As a matter of fact, we're supposed to arrive in Victoria Station about half an hour, and I'm getting married in two, so I, I've, I've got to get off at this, at this stop. And the conductor thought, and he said, well, I've, I've got a plan. I can talk to the engineer, and he's going to have a slowdown. I can't promise too much, but as he slows down, I think I've got a plan that will work, and you can get off. We'll try it. So they were coming up along uh, Victoria Station. The young man was ready. <laughs> the conductor grabbed him by the scruff of his neck, the collar back there, and dangled him over the boardwalk as the train was passing by and slowed down. And suddenly when he hit 50 miles an hour, the conductor let him go, Smoke started flying off these guys' shoes. His, he lost his heels. He was slowing down, though, without falling 50, 40, 30, 20, finally 10 miles an hour, and the conductor thought he made it. But as soon as the caboose passed him, a burly arm reached out, grabbed him by the collar, yanked him aboard the caboose, and the man looked at him. He said, young man, you ought to be thankful for me. Don't you realize that this station, this train doesn't stop at Victoria Station? I'm not sure he made the wedding. <laughs> you do have the, uh, the tape going, right? Great. There's almost nothing worse, more disappointing than hope stolen from you. How many of you men would be sorely disappointed <clears throat> if you missed your wedding, I better see a lot of hands up. Yes, but things happen in our life <clears throat> in which we feel as if hope has been stolen from us. We might be praying through something. Maybe 2016 for you was a year of prayer. and You laid a foundation of prayer and you prayed and you prayed and come the end of the year, those prayers still aren't answered. And we, you feel as if that hope is beginning to drain from you. And my question then is, what are you going to do about 2017? How is God going to impart hope to you? Because I believe hope is our anchor. Is it not, church? Is, is hope your anchor this morning? It is. It is. Meredith, when she was a, a, a student at the University of Delaware, 
During the summertime, when she would go back down to uh, Pembroke Pines, south of about four hours south of here, where she was born and raised, well, where she grew up, she served as a nurse's aide. She came across a nurse and built a relationship with this nurse, a young lady, and she was much younger than this lady and probably, what, 20 or 19, 20 years of age. She prayed for her, and this, this nurse confided in her, said, you know, I just want you to know I go to church, and I am a Christian, but uh, I'm sleeping with my boyfriend. And she was involved in all kinds of sin, and Meredith challenged her, and, and every time that they would have discussions throughout that summer, she would call this young lady to follow Jesus and to truly give her heart and surrender it to Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> after praying and, and hours of talks, realizing by the end of this, the end of the summer, this young lady was not going to turn around and start following Jesus. And she was disappointed. How many of you have ever tried to reach out to someone for years and years and you saw no fruit? You saw nothing change and you felt as if hope was being stolen from you, that the devil was beginning to rob you of your hope. I remember a day, <clears throat> I don't know, 10 or so years ago, I walked into one of my dealerships, a business account that I had, and by the time I walked out, half an hour later, I had lost two-thirds of my business. And I had three employees. Two of them were with me. Donald was on his own doing a great job, and I'm just thinking, man, I just lost two-thirds of my business. God, what am I going to Is this like a joke? Are you just not strong enough to hold the enemy off? And sometimes we feel as if the, the God just allows the devil to come in and rob us. And, and at that moment, there is the temptation to be so filled with discouragement. And I'm going to bet that many of us in the year 2016 felt exactly that way. And you felt as if the devil slyly got in under God's almighty hand somehow. And he came and he robbed you of your hope. Maybe you're looking at over 2017 and you're wondering, God, is there really any hope at all? I want to tell you this morning that there is not only hope, there is a hope that is our anchor and it is sure. And you can stand on it and you can be firm in, in believing in what God has for you in the year 2017. But how do we respond in situations like these when it feels like God himself is against us. I believe God has hope as we move into this new year. Are you with me right now in Luke chapter 2? I want us to look at this story because this story speaks of hope. There's a number of things that I want us to look at that I believe are going to be absolutely applicable for our year coming up in 2017. Luke 2, starting with verse 22. Excuse me. <laughs> When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him, referring to Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons, which means, church, that they were poor. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Say that with me. Simeon, okay, remember that name. He was a righteous, he was righteous and devout, 
He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Say that with me. Consolation of Israel. You know what consolation is? It's comfort, encouragement. So if you're familiar with the word paracleto or paraclete, some of you may have heard of parac- the Holy Spirit as our paraclete. He's our comfort, our encourager. That's this word here. He is the paraclete. He is the comforter, the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit, it says, was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which have been prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, the child, this child, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Church, say that with me the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. I think as we read through this, we understand this is happening about 40 days after the birth of Jesus. You would go to the temple, you would go through purification rites, Bethlehem only a few miles south of Jerusalem, very easy access, no problem, they get there 40 days after Jesus' birth. This incident that I just read to you was after the shepherds had visited, but it was before the magi had come to visit them and bring their gifts. Apparently, they went back to Bethlehem to settle, and I can only imagine for at least two reasons, maybe there's more. Number one, to avoid the ostracism that potentially awaited them in Nazareth. Mary had given birth to what they believed, the people that she grew up with, what they believed, she gave birth to an illegitimate son. And so to avoid that stigma, that potential ostracism, he chose not to go back to Nazareth but he went to Bethlehem. Another reason that I can think of is that both Mary and Joseph were aware that this child was of the lineage of David. And they'd just been told that he would be the consolation of Israel, that he would be the redemption of Jerusalem. There was something special about him, so why not bring him up in the very city of his forefather David? There may be other reasons, but 
regardless of that, they decide to take up residence in Bethlehem. Now, Luke says they went back to Galilee, and that's only because there is a gap here that Luke, perhaps realizing Matthew's already covered this space, I don't need to, but he just skips ahead and talks about when they went back to Nazareth. And, and Matthew tells us that this, was, this is what happened, but several things intervene. The Magi came. When they went back, to, went back to Bethlehem and they took up residence in a house, not a stable, but in a house, that the Magi came bearing gifts, led by a star, and that at that moment, that night, God spoke to Joseph and said, you need to get out of here. And so he took his family, as directed by the angel in the dream, and took them to Egypt for we don't know however long, a couple weeks, a couple months, a couple years. But then they came back. That's the setting of this. It's, it's after the shepherds come, but it's before the magi visit in Bethlehem. <clears throat> and here they encounter both Simeon and Anna, who in a very unusual way testify to who this special child was going to be. Just how special he's, he's going to be the consolation of Israel. <clears throat> He's going to be the comfort. He's going to be the one who consoles Israel. Why would Israel need consolation? Well, if you were to go back to that time and you yourself were to experience the Roman oppression, the high taxes, if you've ever seen the movie The Nativity, excellent, excellent movie in many ways. But it gives you a real feel for that type of oppression that the Israelites had to experience. And so for the one, the promised Messiah, to be able to come and bring comfort, he would become their hope. Say that word with me, church, hope. He was going to be their hope. It also says he was going to be the redemption of Jerusalem. You know what the word redemption means? It means to buy, purchase. He was going to purchase Jerusalem. Now, if you were to look at <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You cannot disconnect this concept of purchasing, of redemption from this idea of forgiveness of sins. So in essence, Anna was was suggesting that this redemption of Israel, that somehow this child would redeem, would purchase Jerusalem, which would be a kind of like a, a catch-all word for all Israelites, not just those living in the walls of Jerusalem, but all Israel, that he would purchase them and that he would forgive their sins. What? How is this going to happen? Now, if you were to look at the prophecy that Simeon shares, we begin to get an answer where he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for the Gentiles and for glory of Israel. And so right now we begin to get this idea of salvation or maybe you can insert the word deliverance or rescuing. Jesus, this child was going to be a deliverer, a rescuer. Now, I think we are, most of us, if not all of us, are aware that this deliverance did not come in the form of breaking the back of the Roman oppression. It didn't happen that way, though. I would suggest that many, if not all, of Israel, that was their focus. 
That's their view of the Messiah, and Jesus didn't come that way, but he came as the one who would forgive their sins, and it's, it's all about the cross, the cross, and what he, the, the, the price that he paid with his blood. That was the transaction. That was the currency that Jesus, God himself, used to purchase you. His blood purchased us, and it was the heavenly currency, the, the life of God himself that would be used to rescue and deliver and purchase a people for himself. Jesus, this child, was to be their comfort, their salvation, the answer to their prayers, released perhaps from Roman oppression. In, in a sum phrase, I would word it this way, Jesus was to be their hope. Jesus was to be their hope. 1 Timothy 1.1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Colossians 1.27, it says, <clears throat> the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then an awesome phrase in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. <clears throat> Isaiah preached, prophesied about 700 years before Jesus. And this is what he says in Isaiah 11. When he says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. What, is, what does that mean? We need to realize that in Isaiah's time, northern kingdom had already been plundered and taken off into Assyria. And is the, the, the kingdom of Judah was next. 722 B.C., Assyria plundered the northern kingdom. Isaiah's writing around 700 B.C., give or take. And just about 80 years, 90, 95 years later, the kingdom of Judah off to Babylon. The stump of Jesse. <laughs> Jesse gave birth to David. That's right, King David. And when the Babylonian captivity came, Jehoiakim was truly the last recognized king. There were some that Nebuchadnezzar set in, but he was the last recognized king by Israel and by God himself to govern and oversee Israel. And Jehoiakim was taken off into captivity. The line of David, all kings stopped at that moment. Zerubbabel of the tribe of Judah, of the line of David, came in only as a governor afterwards when the people returned to Israel. There were no other kings. The stump of Jesse had been cut down, or the tree of Jesse had been cut down to a stump. That's all that remained. And yet here is the prophecy saying there's going to be a shoot and it's going to start coming up from the roots, and that's all that was left. Of, this, the, of, of the lineage of David, just the roots that were left, no king, no tree, just the roots from those roots will come up a branch that will bear fruit. What is Isaiah saying? In the midst of a situation that seems utterly, absolutely impossible, I have a hope for my people. Even though this tree has been cut down and all that it left, all this left is a stump and roots. 
watch, watch what I am about to do. There's going to be a shoot that's going to come up. There's going to be a branch, and the branch is going to bear fruit because I have a purpose for my people, and I have not abandoned them. If, if only they just see the stump and the roots. That may be all that they see. And as you enter into 2017, you may feel just like that. God, I feel as if I can cut down. It feels as if all that's left is a stump and roots. What have you done? What have you allowed the devil to do this year? We can feel that way, church. You can feel as if the devil's come in and he's stolen your hope. We don't always understand God's ways or God's plan or God's hope that he gives us. When this hope, when this deliverer, when this shoot, this branch that produced fruit finally came in the person of of baby Jesus, the idea was deliverance from Roman oppression. And because many times we don't understand what God is up to, we're set in our ways and <clears throat> when the devil comes and he, he, he tends to level some of these things in our life and rob us of that hope. But I want to tell you that in your life, it is absolutely, utterly impossible for the devil to steal the anchor of your hope. It's absolutely impossible. So we're going to need to get into what, what is hope anyway. What is hope? We need to understand it because if we don't understand it, you can be like the people, like the, the disciples who, after Jesus was killed, they hid in a, an upper room, locked the closets for fear of the Jews. Why? Because they felt their hope, the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem had just been stolen from them. So we need to understand what is hope. Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is being certain of what is hoped for and certain of what we do not see. Now, we got to be careful here. Hope is not a weak faith. Now, do you follow me? I hope you have a good day. Has anyone ever rebuked you? No, you need to have faith that I have a good day. Well, that's not what we're getting at. faith is the certainty of things hoped for. So if you really want to be good with God, you don't just have hope. Oh, you have faith because faith trumps hope, right? Then why does 1 Corinthians 13, 13 say that these three remain? Faith, hope, and love. I'm not sure it's emphasized like that in the Greek. But the greatest of these is love. But hope is one of the three main things that we're to hold on to. I mean, if, if faith is just a wimpy, excuse me, if hope is just a wimpy faith, then why do we need to have hope, church? I think it's because we misunderstand what hope is. Hope <clears throat> is a solid anchor of truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is our truth, and hope is a solid anchor of truth, and that truth does not change. Are you following me here? But faith is the resolve about that truth and acts on it. Why? Because faith is active, it responds. Hope is passive, it inspires faith. 
It is both the object. <clears throat> it is both the object of our hope and our response to that hope. Follow me. It's both the anchor and the chain that the anchor is attached to. So do you see? Hope is that sure anchor that cannot move. It is the object of our hope, but we hope in that anchor. And this can seem somewhat confusing, but if you were to turn to Isaiah 40, verse 31, it says, those who hope in the Lord will mount up on wings as eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So we are called to hope in this hope. Now, do you follow me? Faith would be like that ship in which the, the chain is wrapped around or tied to. But that chain leads to that anchor that cannot be moved. And that anchor is Christ. That chain, though, that's where the enemy wants to come in. That's where the enemy wants to attack and, and see where is the weakest link here and break that link and break our hope. Can I ask you this? <coughs> what would your life be like if you had no hope? Don't just, a simple question. What do you think about that? What would your life be like as you move into 2017 and there was no hope? Would you want to wake up in the morning? Not too many of us would. Would you want to go to work? Oh, by the way, your job will never meet your financial needs. So forget about that hope. There's no vacation coming up. You have to work. You're estranged from your family, been through a divorce. Your neighbors don't speak to you. Where is your hope? If all hope is gone, what do you have to look forward to? You see, this is a principle. And the devil knows this principle, church. He wants to steal your hope. He wants to, he knows he can't move the anchor. But he also knows that if he tries hard enough, he can break the chain. So again, Jesus is our hope. He is that anchor. But we are called to place hope in the Lord, to place our hope in that hope. I'm not trying to <clears throat> get too philosophical here, but I think we have a misunderstanding of hope. Faith then latches onto this hope, and faith is what's active. Faith is what moves and responds. Faith is what says, you know what? If that's true, then this is what I'm going to do about it. Do you remember in the movie Facing the Giants? And the pastor that's been praying over the locker, he's praying over the school. And he gives a very strong prophetic word to, what's the, what's the name of the gentleman, the coach? Help me out. Grant, there we go. Thank you. He gives us a very strong prophetic word to Grant. He says, you need to bloom where you're planted. And he shares a story with him. And the end result, he says, you know what, Grant? You need to prepare for rain. 
You see, the rain, that promise of rain, that's his hope. But he's got to do something about it. That is faith. But I'm not talking about faith this morning. I'm talking about hope. Because the devil knows that if he can steal your hope, you can't walk, you can't walk in faith. What do you have to wake up and look forward to in year 2017? Nothing if you have no hope. Whereas hope empowers us to wait, because some of your translations in Isaiah 40 verse 31 says those who wait upon the Lord rather than hope. And I'm suggesting they're one and the same. When you hope and your hope is sure, you wait. You don't get impatient. You know it's going to happen. That's your hope. You have hope today. If you have hope, then you're going to wait on the Lord because you know he's going to come through. That's hope. Let me say this again. Whereas hope empowers us to wait. Faith empowers us to move forward, to do something, and to act. So without hope, there's no faith. Hope is our anchor. Faith is the ship tied to that anchor. The greater, listen to this, the greater the need for hope. I don't know, perhaps because of tremendous attack, and many of you have been through that. I know I've been through that attack. The greater the need for hope, the greater the need for God to confirm that hope. Now follow me here. I just said the greater the hope needs to be, the greater I believe God is going to confirm that hope to you. Jesus, our hope, when he came to this world, was then entrusted to Mary and Joseph. I just want to ask you, what do you think? Do you think that Mary and Joseph just might need a little bit of hope in raising this child, just a little bit, maybe. I think they needed a lot of hope. I think they, need, they needed to respond to God in faith. They were going to be subjected to a lot of potential criticism, ostracism, uh, uh, attacks. Who knows? They needed this confirmed. So here's what God did. God sent an angel to Mary. I'm going to do something awesome. You're not even going to believe it, but when it happens, whew, it's going to blow you away. First confirmation, Gabriel the angel came in Luke chapter 1, visited Mary. Second thing is that Mary conceived. She, she started showing. It was a confirmation. It eventually gave birth, a virgin birth to Jesus. Number three, the angel had to visit Joseph because he was going to put her away privately. She wasn't faithful to me. She's apparently lying to me. She says she didn't sleep with a man. Hello, I know my science. I know what's going on here. You're pregnant, woman, and you're trying to tell me that you didn't. Uh, I'm not believing you. I'm going to put you away. Because I'm a righteous man, I'm going to do it privately. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'll do it privately. So the fourth confirmation, third confirmation is that an angel visited Joseph in a dream. <clears throat> and he said, Hang on. I'm not sure what the Greek is in that word there, but hang on, Joseph, son of David. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You weren't a part of that, but I was. 
And you're going to call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And because of that confirmation, Joseph obeyed and he took Mary home as his wife. And he didn't put her away. And Joseph grew up with the daddy. I'm sorry, that was, yeah, that was three. Number four, Elizabeth's confirmation to Mary that Zechari- of Zechariah's vision of an angel, that she would be giving birth to a son and they call his name John. And I'm sure that Mary found out about Zechariah when he said and his name is John. He was, his mouth was instantly opened and he was able to speak and he glorified God. You read about it in Luke chapter 2. That was another confirmation, confirmation number five to Mary, and I'm sure also to Joseph, that this son is really the son of God. Number six, the shepherd's testimony. You can't get past that. They came back and said, oh, guys, you're not going to believe this. You know why we're here? We just were visited by a whole throng of angels. And I may not get the tune right, but let me try and sing the song that they sang to us. And it was powerful confirmation again that this child is special. Number seven that we read this morning, Simeon confirms. Simeon was led by the Spirit. He was filled by the Spirit. And he was moved by the Spirit to go into the temple at the exact moment that Mary and Joseph were getting ready to present their child have these offerings for Mary's purification. And at that very moment, he sees the child and the spirit of God comes upon him, anoints him, and he speaks prophetically and profoundly a truth that this child, this Jesus, will be our anchor. And again, God allows a confirmation to Mary and Joseph. Anna, she comes in and pays specific attention to this child, the redemption of Jerusalem. I've already mentioned the Magi's visit and the star, I'm sure, that they told Mary and Joseph about. If they didn't tell Mary and Joseph about the star, there's no way that Luke would have found out because Luke never met him. And Luke was investigated all of these matters and wrote them down to make sure they were certain and in right order. Number 10, 11, and 12 are the three dreams that God gives to Joseph in which angels appear to him and guide him. Not talking about the first one because there are four dreams that God gave to Joseph. These are the last three. And he directs them to Egypt and then back to Judea and then on to Nazareth. Twelve confirmations that I've counted. Maybe I missed one or two. But twelve confirmations. But here's the truth. In the midst of these confirmations and these things that God will do, not just for Mary, but he was going to do for you to strengthen that chain. He doesn't need to strengthen the anchor. That anchor is truth. That anchor is Jesus. But he needs to strengthen your chain. He needs to strengthen those links. And he's going to give you confirmations. And he's going to speak to you. He's going to speak to you through your word, through other people. He's going to speak to you through parents. He's going to speak to you through words that people just say and drop in your heart. I've, I've had totally unsaved unbelievers. 
It's, yeah, unsaved unbelievers, yeah, whatever. And, and they, they have spoken prophetically to me. They thought, do you realize that's possible? Caiaphas, trust me, Caiaphas was not a godly man. Caiaphas spoke prophetically. Read about it in John 11. Why should a man die for a nation? Surprise. Anyway, God has spoken to me in these ways. And God is going to speak to us, and he confirms this hope, and he strengthens that chain. Many times he speaks to us through his word in this way. But here's what I also know. I know that Jesus is our anchor. I'm understanding this concept of hope. And I understand that the stronger the hope needs to be, the more confirmations God is going to give. But here's what I also realized. The enemy knows this too. He knows it. See, if this is not true, look back over 2016. Did the enemy ever try to cut that chain that's linked to your anchor, Jesus, in 2016. Did he ever do that? Was there anything that he did? We could probably go around, hands raised everywhere, and you would probably confirm, yep, here's what he did. Actually, it wasn't once or twice. It was like eight times he came, and he tried to break my hope. The enemy seeks to undercut Mary's hope. If you were to look at Luke 2, Verse 19, it says, but Mary, after the shepherds came, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Do you know why? She's building that chain link by link, pondering these things, storing them up. This child of mine truly is special. Maybe even at that moment, she's feeling overwhelmed. God, how do I do this? How do I do this? Talk about intimidation. I'm raising the son of God now. Oh. She treasured up and pondered all of these things in her heart. But here's what Mark chapter 3, verse 21 says. Jesus is involved in his ministry. He's casting out demons. He is not currying the favor of the religious leaders of his day, and Mary is worried And she gathers, Mark tells us, gathers his family, minus Joseph. He's apparently passed away. But she gathers his brother and sisters, and they go from Nazareth to Capernaum. And this is what they say. He must be out of his mind. What's going on here? Wait, 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 Mary. Mary, you had 12 confirmations about this anchor of hope in not just your life, but for all of Israel. Why would you think he's he's out of his mind? And we begin to see that the devil is chipping chipping away at the links of her hope. Her hope is being shaken. And of course, we all know that on that day in which Jesus was tried, Mary stood at the foot of the cross in tears. And as Simeon prophesied, a sword was thrust into her very own soul too. Not only had her hope been shaken, her hope had now been shattered. What's what's to be now? Jesus, is he really the Messiah? How could he? He's dead. 
Church, you can't lose hope more than that in a person when they've died. And here he is, her very own son, the hope of the world, dead on a cross. And in Mary's heart, hope had died that day. So why, no doubt, is at that very moment she is probably thinking back some 30 years to the voice of Simeon, as he says, and a sword will pierce your very own soul too. Why? There is somehow purpose in this. But what? What would God do? The chain is being stretched The links are nearly breaking. We must see, however, that with God, the fourth thing I want to see here today is hope is restored. Because my Bible tells me that it was on the third day that Jesus raised from the dead, was raised from the dead. That on the first day he was crucified. And can you only imagine on the second day, where was Mary's hope? It was in the process of being shattered. But on the third day, church, that that hope was resurrected. And God desires to resurrect your hope as well. If we were to go around the room, no doubt, we would each have a story of how 2016, the enemy sought to chip away and weaken some of those links in our own life. Can I ask, how has the devil tested your hope this past year? Maybe he tested it in your marriage. Can I be honest with you? As one who has pursued God with all of his heart since age 14, not not perfectly, but I truly can say before you, I've pursued God with all of my heart. And it's not been easy, but many times I would walk away from an argument with my wife and, and just thinking to myself, the marriage is over. The marriage is over. Have you ever felt that way? The marriage is over. I've really blown it this time. I really got her angry. I really hurt her deeply with this one. And I, and I just go to prayer and I say, God, it's me again. Yep. Yeah, I blew it again, Lord. And it seems like it's over. And I know that you're wanting me to pastor, but you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong couple. Because I've blown it, and I just can't seem to get it together right. I need you right now to step in. Church, can I just tell you that as much as this man has blown it in his marriage, number one, I have a very forgiving wife. But number two, God always stepped in, and he restored, he resurrected hope. And some of us are wondering, well, God, i That's great. I mean, you get married, you go through hard times, but I'm not even sure I'm going to get married. That hope has already sailed. Has the enemy stolen that hope out of your heart today? What about the potential job promotion that you've worked so hard for this year? And they just had a meeting and they chose someone else. Can you say, ouch? Can you say, God, where are you in this? And the enemy is trying to undermine your hope and break that chain, break that weak link. 
Guess what, church? My Eagles are not going to the playoffs this year. My hope was dashed. After their first three games, I was sailing high. I was soaring like eagles. Bad pun. Sorry, sorry. But my Eagles were doing so well. What was it, three, four games? They even beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Come on. Then they got a bye week, and they fell apart. Yeah, Yeah, that ship has already sailed. I knew that. But the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, come on. They're going to the playoffs. It's a sure thing. But are they going to win the Super Bowl? They might. Some of us are saying, I've got a hope in my Miami Dolphins. Well, God bless bless you, Donald, and you others who are placing your hope in a professional football team. (laughs) You know, I'm playing with you. But isn't it silly? Sometimes we really do place so much stock in things that fail us, in people, in teams that fail us. I was crushed when the Lakers beat the Magic in the NBA Finals however many years ago. Wow. Four games to one. Come on, team. They've never been close since. But Jesus is our hope. Not some team. But I will say this. Go Dolphins. The truth is, that is not my hope. I do know people, when their team loses in a World Series or the Super Bowl or the Stanley Cup, for a week, they are down. True story. They are weak. It's like their life might as well end. Really? (laughs) Really? Because I need to tell you, our anchor is Jesus Christ, who's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he never changes. And his promises to you are absolutely sure, and he will never fail you. He is a sure thing. Our anchor is sure, the chain. Now, that's a different story. The chain. Many of us are still praying that that wayward child will come back to Jesus. And my prayers are right there with you. Many of us are still praying for personal finances. Many of you, and thank you for this, are still praying for the church's finances. Let's keep doing that. But my anchor is Jesus. It's not in a building. It it is not in man's methodology. It has nothing to do with anything other than Jesus Christ and his promises because truth does not change. It does not change. Maybe we feel, you know what? Pastor Mike, I think that I have sinned so much that I've just simply exhausted God's patience, love, and forgiveness. And he really disciplined me forever like this? Maybe has he even given up hope on me? The answer to that is no, no, and no. Habakkuk. Awesome. Awesome passage. Habakkuk 3.17 says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior, 
Here's the truth. The sovereign Lord, he says, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. You know what he's saying by that? See, as a, a hind goes into the mountains, a deer goes into the mountains, <coughs> they have the ability to be fleet of foot. They have an ability to know in a split second where their hooves need to land on the rocks so they don't fall into the crags and break an ankle. Their footing is sure on that rocky mountain. Even as ours can be sure on the footing of our rock, our hope, Jesus Christ. So even though it does not work out as we had planned in the year 2016, does that mean 2017 is a loss? Do we just toss it out the window? Do we give up because maybe we think God's given up on us? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, church. Our hope is Christ. He is our sure anchor. He repays what the enemy has stolen, church. He restores the years the locusts have eaten. Let me read to you this hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, and blood support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then be in him found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground, church is sinking sand. On that day that I lost two-thirds of my business, I was tempted to see one of those links in my chain break. But God immediately came to my rescue and put grace in my heart. But he also put an anger in my heart. And I hope that makes sense. Because I was angry at the enemy who had tried to steal two-thirds of my business. And I said to these two guys, employees, I said, guys, we're going to hold hands right now. They were all Christians. And we're going to ask God to intervene right now and give us back what the devil has stolen. And in two months, God didn't just give me two-thirds back. He gave me more. Because this is what our God does, church. When it seems that all hope is gone, all hope has been tested and shattered, 
It is then that he loves to step in and resurrect your hope. It is then that he steps in and says, see, the anchor is sure. Because it's on Christ, the solid rock, you stand. Ten years after Meredith ministered to that nurse, she was standing in line at Regent University some, I don't know, 800 or plus miles away in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I was a student getting my Master's of Divinity, and she was in line in a King's, what's called King's Pantry to receive bags of groceries because we were, we were poor. And many of those students were poor. And so they were blessing us with free groceries. And a lady stood behind her. And as Meredith turned around, the lady said, excuse me, but you look so familiar. And she began to, yeah, my name's Meredith Curtis. Oh, you know what? My maiden name is Ludwig. I'm, I'm Meredith Ludwig Curtis. And she looked at her and said, Meredith, I can't believe it. It's you. You challenged me to turn away from my sexual immorality and leave that boyfriend behind and pursue Jesus. And I want you to know you're part of my testimony because I did what you told me to do. And it challenged me to the core of who I was as a person. And I made a decision, I will follow Jesus. And for these 10 years, I've been serving him. And I'm here today because God has called me to be a counselor. And I'm enrolled in the school of counseling. Can you imagine that confirmation in my wife's heart? When she thought 10 years ago, all hope for that lady had been tossed out the window. God, I mean, I did what I could. She's in your hands. You know what, church? That is the best place for someone to be that you're praying for. In the hands of Jesus. I want to ask you today, what link or links has the devil been trying to break in your chain of hope? Because I want to tell you, we serve an awesome God. We serve an awesome, awesome, help me out, church, awesome, help me out again, awesome God. Just yesterday, we had an envelope placed on our door from a lady that my wife knows. I'm, I'm, I know her, but I wouldn't say I'm real close to her. Her husband was Jimmy's soccer coach when Jim was like five or six years old at the YMCA, and that's how Meredith knows her. And inside was a check to the church for $1,000. And a card inside that says, Dear Meredith, you are such a blessing. God is faithful and so much bigger than anything the enemy throws against you. And on the front it says, Nothing ahead of you is bigger or stronger than the power of God in your life. That is our hope, church. 
That is our anchor. That is our stay. Jesus Christ. Our righteousness. Will you stand with me? You go ahead and dim the lights. Maybe I'm just guessing. But I think maybe, just maybe, the enemy has been at work in some of our lives in 2016 and and has tried to undermine that hope of Christ in our lives. And he has managed to discourage us and perhaps for some of us rob us of that hope. And I'm just going to encourage you this morning as I believe the Spirit of God has been speaking to your hearts very specifically and in ways that I don't even know right now, but he does. Would you allow him to minister hope to you this morning? Are you willing to place hope in your great hope again? Can you allow him to be your consolation and your redeemer? your salvation, your deliverance. That is why he's come. Perhaps like Mary, you feel like a sword has pierced your own soul too. But church, I want to tell you, God had something special on the third day. And he has something special for you. Because our hope is our anchor. It's Jesus. And he is not moving. If you want to come to the altar for prayer, you can do that where you're at standing or kneeling. Spirit of God, I pray that you would speak hope to us right now. You would minister truth where the enemy has spoken lies. That you would restore to us again our hope, Jesus. We choose today not to fix our eyes on what the devil has done, but on the promise of our God that he will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Jesus, I pray that where we have faltered, our hope has been attacked, our faith has become as nothing that right now, what the enemy has sought to shatter and undo, you rebuild and you renew and you restore. Because you are the love of our life and our only hope. Speak to hearts this morning, Jesus. Speak hope.